Today, let's talk about marriage. And uh, John earlier said, I'm excited to hear what Joseph's going to say about these passages. John, I wish I was excited as you are, brother. No, I am excited uh, because it's God's Word and there, there is a wealth of wisdom, of course, throughout God's Word, but in our passage today, uh, if we are willing to dig in there and to seek to understand God's Word, even when it might be a little difficult. I want us to talk about marriage, and on a subject like this, we could turn to many different places in the Bible. We could talk about what Jesus had to say about marriage. From texts like Matthew 19 or Mark chapter 10, we could talk about what Paul has to say about marriage. Paul has a lot to say about marriage. Uh, In places like Ephesians chapter 5, Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, 1 Corinthians 7. But today, we are going to talk about, because we're following your daily Bible readings, and if you're keeping up, you read this passage in the last week. Today we're going to talk about what Peter has to say about marriage. And of course, in each case, whether it's what Jesus says or Paul or Peter, we're talking about the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God. So it is the Holy Spirit behind each of these writings. But today we're looking at the book of 1 Peter. We're going to talk about what Peter has to say on the topic of marriage. Now, it's interesting. Here's your Bible trivia for the day. Of the three, Jesus, Paul, And Peter, Peter is the only married one. How do I know this? He's got a mother-in-law. In In Mark chapter... Why are people already laughing about how Peter has a mother-in-law? Mark chapter 1, verse 30, we read... And and again, here's your Bible trivia for the day. We read that Peter's mother-in-law was ill with a fever. And Peter asks Jesus, amazingly, asks Jesus to heal... His mother-in-law. And so that should tell you everything that you need to know about Peter's character, that he loved his mother-in-law enough to ask Jesus to heal her. Okay, so you're not a fan of mother-in-law jokes. I'll make a note of that for the future. Maybe you're just not a fan of bad jokes. Okay. Peter, I'm going to lay this out for you where we're headed this morning. I don't always do this. Sometimes I'll take you on a journey and you don't know where we're going until we get there. But today, I'm going to give you a preview of of what this is going to look like. Our text is 1 Peter chapter 3. And so I would invite you to grab a Bible and turn there with me as we dig into this text today. Our goal is to make our marriages work better. That's a pretty simple goal. But it's also a pretty big goal, right? We want to make our marriages more God-glorifying. We want to make them more satisfying and fulfilling for us. And our method for doing that today is to, from this passage, look at two instructions for wives and three for husbands. And I want you to notice that. That I've got one extra instruction for the husbands than I do for the wives. Now you may be thinking, Joseph, what do you know about marriage? You've just been married 12 years, And I will admit that many of you have a leg up on me in that regard. I'm just a peon compared to those of you who have been married for decades and you have gained a wealth of wisdom from your experience. But I want to make clear that what I am sharing with you today doesn't come from 
my thoughts or my observations. It comes from the very Word of God. Uh, now, my wife would also want me to tell you that marriage is easier for me because I do have an ideal spouse. At least that's what she tells me. Uh, but that aside, what I want to share today comes from the Scriptures and not from my own mind. And this is not going to be like a sermon I once heard when we, my family visited this small church up in the Smoky Mountains. We were camping years ago with another family from our congregation. And we show up at this little church and the elderly preacher mounts the pulpit and he says, today we're going to talk about the proper roles of men and women in the home and in the church. And I'm going to start with the women. And then he went to town on the women for 30 minutes. He railed against the women and, and this family that we were with, they were seated behind us and throughout the whole sermon, this man, a, a close friend of our family, he was in my mom's ear the whole time just saying, Amen, Amen, preach it, preach it. Well, by the end of that sermon, he said, um, well, now it's time to turn our attention to the men. And then he glanced at his watch and said, well, what, looks like we're out of time. That'll have to wait until later. I promise you it's not going to be like that. I'm going to talk to the ladies first, but we will save plenty of time for the men. So, for the wives, the first instruction that Peter would share with us in 1 Peter chapter 3 is this. Submit to your husband's leadership. Whew, and here we go. Right out of the gate. Submit to your husband's leadership. Let's talk about this, let's talk about this concept. The Bible doesn't teach female submission in general across the board throughout society. So if, you have a, a, if you're a, a male and you have a female boss at work, that is not problematic for you. You probably already know that. Or if at some point in our country we have a female president, it shouldn't be an issue for us to honor her as the leader of our country as the Scriptures instruct us to do. That is not the issue at hand. The Bible does, however affirm male leadership in the church, in the assemblies of the church. And you can look at places like 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11-15, through 15, or 1 Corinthians 14, verses 33-35, through 35, male leadership in the church and in the home. Look at Titus 2, verse 5, as an example of how the New Testament teaches that men, that males, that husbands, that fathers should be the spiritual leaders in their homes. Now, in context, in 1 Peter chapter 3, if you're there with me, you will see that this specifically, this text is about Christian wives who are married to unbelieving husbands. Read the text. Verses 1 through 2 of chapter 3. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So Peter here is saying, you wives married to husbands who are not Christians, you have a great opportunity in respecting Him and submitting to His leadership. You may, in the course of time, be able to win Him to the faith, to gain His soul for God. You might be able... To convert your husband by your own sustained faithfulness and godly conduct. And to me, the greatest example of this from my life is the example 
of Bob and Georgie Spears. This very dear couple who was a part of our church family here for many years before they moved to Texas. For years and years in their marriage, Georgie was a Christian and Bob was not. Now Bob would come to the services on Sunday morning and he would sit out there in the pew just as you are, but for whatever reason over the years he had never responded to the invitation, never had been obedient to Christ. Well, they were just about to move to Texas and the week prior to their move, several of us reached out to Bob and we encouraged him and we told him how much we would love to see him be baptized for the remission of his sins. And lo and behold, the Sunday before they moved the following Monday, during the invitation song, here comes Bob and Georgie at his side. He's come to be baptized into Christ. It was a beautiful morning, beautiful day. Not hardly a dry eye in the house. Well, Georgie later asked Bob, what was it you know, that made you decide after all these years to become a Christian? He just said it was time. And she pressed further and said, how did you know it was time? And this is what he said. It was you. It was your example over all those years. It was your respectful and pure conduct. It was your sustained faith. She didn't win him by vehement arguments and and by debates and by nagging and by pressing. She won him by staying the course and being faithful and respecting him and, and submitting to his leadership and look what resulted. That seems to be what Peter is saying here in this text. Now, we know that this should be applied in all Christian marriages that wives ought to submit to their husband's leadership. We know that from Ephesians chapter 5, a writing of Paul. We know that from Colossians chapter 3. And it might be helpful to think of it in this way. Submitting to leadership and leading are not, one is not better than the other. They're just different roles for the different genders in a marriage, for men and women. And and God has called us to submit to these roles. Uh, He has established these different roles, and one is not supreme over the other. We are simply called uh, to live according to these roles. Now, let me say something to the the husbands here. Let me say something to myself. Because I think the teaching in the Scripture about wives submitting to the leadership of their husbands says as much to the husbands as it does to the wives. What it says to the husbands, or what it ought to say to us, is lead well. Lead in a way that is worthy of submission. If the Bible calls wives to submit to their husbands, that is a challenge for us husbands to step up as the spiritual leaders of our home. To lead our wives and our children in a way that brings them closer to the heart of God. That shows them how much they are loved by God, by our own love that leads them to be faithful to the Lord all the days of their lives. So when we as husbands see these instructions in the New Testament, in the Scriptures, we shouldn't point them out to our wives. They, it should be a sobering reminder for us. It should cut to our hearts as well that we need to be the leaders of our families that God has called us to be. And so the first instruction here that Peter says in this chapter as he's talking about marriage 
as he's talking about the conduct of wives and husbands, is to the wives, submit to your husband's leadership. And again, as we have said in the past, we may not always understand what God has to say to us and the various commands that he shares in the New Testament. It's not important that we understand. It is simply important that we obey, that we trust and obey, that we trust that God knows what's best and that he has our best interests at heart. And certainly, this concept is quite controversial out in the world and some of that influence can seep into the church and can seep into our minds and our hearts and our practice. We must not let that happen. We must stand firm on what God's Word teaches and do our very best to follow it knowing that God knows what's best. Number two, for wives, number two, the second instruction, focus on inner beauty All right, verse 3. Peter says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. What is Peter saying here? That women ought not have braided hair That women may not wear gold jewelry? Well, as you read this, it becomes clear that Peter is not forbidding these adornments. He's not forbidding braided hair, which is a good thing. Because I went hiking with my three girls yesterday, and they all had braids in their hair. So, and that's bad news. If Peter here forbids braided hair, but if he forbids braided hair and he forbids gold jewelry, then he also forbids wearing clothes? Well, that can't be the case because, of course, that violates what the New Testament teaches elsewhere. What Peter is saying here is that these should not be the focus. Do not focus on outer beauty to the neglect of inner beauty. You should be less concerned with your outer appearance and more concerned with your inner disposition. Now, one of the church fathers tells us about a century, writing a century after the New Testament was completed, that some Greek women had elaborate hairstyles and they would braid their long hair and they would whirl it and twirl it on top of their heads and there would be gold and pearls and they would not want anybody to touch it for fear that it would fall down. They would be even afraid of sleep at night for for fear of messing it up. And what Peter is saying here is that is an inordinate focus on your outer appearance. Don't be like that. Don't be so obsessed with your outer appearance that you neglect to foster an inner beauty. It reminds me a little bit of uh, how my great-grandmother would always refuse to wear a seatbelt in the car, and it was because she didn't want to wrinkle her dress. This is, this is that on steroids. The obsession with the outer appearance, with the hair in this case. Are we obsessed with our outer appearance today? I'm speaking of the world. How big a business is you know, the cosmetic industry, the skincare industry, the clothing and fashion industry. Peter is not saying you shouldn't wear these things or adorn yourself in these ways. He's just saying that shouldn't be your number one focus 
as a Christian woman, as one who has surrendered herself to God, focus more on inner beauty. Now, that brings me again to husbands and men. If I'm telling the ladies to focus on inner beauty, then we ought to cherish inner beauty. That should be important to us as well. Now, I'm not saying that you know, physical attraction for the opposite sex doesn't exist, that we should ignore that. God has certainly wired us in that way, but as men of faith, as sons of God, as, as men in whom the Holy Spirit is found, that Holy Spirit is refashioning us and transforming us to see and appreciate inner beauty more than outer beauty. And you know one surefire way that we do not come to cherish inner beauty? We keep looking at pornography. We will not cherish the inner beauty of our wives by looking at objectified images of women. I'm talking about any, any inappropriate, explicit images that turn women into just their outer shell. That's not going to help us to become the men that God has called us to be. Men who cherish the inner beauty of our wives. This text says that that imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, in God's sight, it is very precious. In our sight, it ought to be precious as well. It reminds me of what the Proverbs writer said. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Now, how about we move on to the husbands? I'm not out of time. we got plenty of time to talk about me, to talk about you, us. So, in Peter's text, we skip down to verse 7 here. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. So, number one, husbands, and I'm talking also to young men who will one day be husbands, be understanding of your wife. And maybe you say it would be easier to learn and master rocket science than to understand the woman <laughs> that I live under a roof with. Well, and maybe you think, you know, that old book title is right on target. Men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. It's like we're from different planets. So hard to understand one another. Well, I think a few baby steps toward understanding can go a long way. We need to seek to understand our wives and to fulfill her needs. And one good place to start might be what is now a uh, marriage classic book called His Needs, Her Needs. A book that I read long ago. Not the only great resource out there, but the author of that book says that in general, women have five needs that need to be fulfilled in marriage. And this is generally speaking, these would not be the needs for all women, but he says in general, the five needs of women are affection, conversation, honesty and openness, financial stability, and family commitment. So husbands, as we aim to understand our wives and fulfill our needs, maybe that's a good place to start. Maybe we start with expressing our love and affection for our wives Maybe we decide to listen well and to converse and to talk with our wives. Maybe we don't keep secrets anymore. And we aim to be honest and open in our relationship. Maybe we 
aim to support our family financially, to work hard. And maybe that means we are committed to our marriage and to raising our children together. Those things will go a long way in being understanding of our wives. Number two for husbands, show honor. This is what Peter says. Likewise, husbands, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Oh my. Now, that catches a lot of people's attention. Women are the weaker vessel? What does that mean? Anything you can do, I can do better, as the song says. What does Scripture mean there? When it says women are the weaker vessel. Well, generally speaking, I think what Peter is just simply saying here is that male bodies are stronger than female bodies. And we ought to be able to look around and to observe that. That's one of the controversies surrounding transgender, so-called transgender athletes. Men who self-identify as women or go through gender reassignment surgery and participate in athletic contests designed for females, when that happens, there's no contest. And that's caused quite a stir in our society. It, it should be that we can look and observe. There, Peter does not mean this as an insult. There is, between the genders, a stronger vessel and there is a weaker vessel, generally speaking. Now, could Serena Williams totally obliterate me on a tennis court? Absolutely. Could Ronda Rousey lay the smackdown on me in a UFC fight? Without question. And I'm not going to go on with any more of these examples. It seems you're enjoying them a little too much. Generally speaking, male bodies are stronger than female bodies. And regardless of what you think about the Me Too movement, it is true that men have often used their strength and power, and it's been true from almost the beginning of history, that men have abused their strength and their power to take advantage of and to mistreat women in our society and beyond. And it seems to me that what Peter is saying to men, to husbands, is use your strength not as a weapon, but to show honor and respect to your wife. In contrast to what other men may do with their own strength, you as a Christian man, as a Christian husband, you treat your wife with honor and respect. Number three and final instruction for husbands. Treat your wife as a co-heir of grace. Watch this. Husbands, since they are, live with your wives in these ways, as we've talked about, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. To me, this one balances out the command for women to submit to the spiritual leadership of their husbands. This is the truth that makes all of this meld and work together in a seamless way. Some people look at this book, the Bible, especially in our day and age, and they see a book that is demeaning to women. The New Testament speaks down to women. It's condescending to women. It's disrespectful to women. But in its context, in its historical context in truth, the Bible elevates the value and the worth 
of women. In a society where women were seen as second-class citizens, the Bible comes along and declares this, there is no male and female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. It's Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. Through Christ, you are all sons and daughters of Father God. We are all on a level playing field. We are part of God's family together. Though men and women may have different roles that we have already outlined in the church and especially for our purposes in the home, we are equally made in God's image. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. And what Peter says here is, Husbands, treat your wives accordingly. She is not a second class citizen. She is not on a lower plane than you. Yes, you may have a different role in this relationship, but she is a co-heir of God's grace with you. And in Christ, there is no male and female. You are all beloved by God. And then there is a warning for husbands at the end of this section here in verse 7. If you look here at the last part, it says, do all this stuff so that your prayers may not be hindered. Peter says to Christians, to Christian men, to Christian husbands, if you don't submit to this way of life in your home with your wife, if you don't do these things, then watch this. God will pay no heed to your prayers. Your prayer life, your relationship with God will be disrupted if you are not living with your wife in the way that God has outlined in this passage. Listen, more than ever before, our world needs for us to model healthy, loving, devoted, committed marriages. And that really is the context of 1 Peter. He is concerned in this letter about instructing Christians on how they should live in an unbelieving world. You need to live in certain ways so as to make a difference, an impact on your unbelieving neighbors. And then he gets to 1 Peter chapter 3 and he talks about marriage. And unlike ever before, the world needs us to stand out in this regard. It needs for wives to do the things that wives are called to do and husbands to do the things that husbands are called to do in this passage and elsewhere. And marriages that work, marriages that are warm and God-glorifying and fulfilling are built not on opinion and not on the ideas of man. They are built on the guidance of God's Word. And this morning, if you need to come and submit to your God, uh, if you need to give your life to Him, if you need the forgiveness that only He can offer through His Son, Jesus Christ, we don't want anybody to walk out of those doors today lost who needs to be saved. If you need to be saved today, if you're not a baptized believer, if you've never confessed the name of Christ, if you've never repented of your sins, we want to give you the opportunity to do that. Or if you're struggling in any way and you need prayers, you can come and ask for prayers or you can go see a couple of our elders in the conference room back here after our assembly is over. We sing this song to encourage you. We sing this song as the Lord invites you to come and to make things right in your relationship with Him. Why don't you do that right now as we stand and sing?